WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. This week, as members of the Indiana House prepared to vote on a bill, one veteran lawmaker likened the debate to the 1993 movie Groundhog Day, in which Bill Murray's character finds himself living the same day over and over again. Now, even the bill's House sponsor acknowledged a sense of deja vu. She said, I don't think we're going to change anyone's mind. We all came here pretty much knowing where we stand on this topic. The issue at hand? Abortion. And even though the measure that prompted this latest back and forth ended up passing the House on a vote of 67 to 26, chances are good that lawmakers will be back next session and the session after that to continue the debate over who, when, where, and how Hoosier women can end their pregnancies. Hi, I'm John Schwannis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll explore what has and hasn't changed here in our state since the U.S. Supreme Court legalized abortion in 1973. Indiana Lawmakers... From the State House to your house. The Visual Analytics Law Enforcement Toolkit, or Valet, developed at Purdue University, brings critical data and analytics to police departments instantly, so officers are a step ahead of criminal activity. To learn more, visit otc prf.org. As I mentioned at the top of the show, 45 years have passed since the U.S. Supreme Court effectively legalized abortion. And each of those years has yielded more evidence, it seems, that the landmark ruling by the nation's highest court was, in many ways, more of a commencement than it was a conclusion. If anything, in recent years, the debate over access to abortion has grown more intense, especially in our nation's state houses. Between 2010 and 2016, state legislatures across the country enacted at least 338 new abortion restrictions, or put another way, close to one-third of the more than 1,100 measures adopted by states since the Supreme Court issued its decision in Roe v. Wade. Joining me to talk about how the debate has unfolded and where it might lead are Republican Representative Sean Eberhardt of Shelbyville, Dr. Catherine McHugh and Indianapolis OBGYN, Democratic Senator Gene Bro of Indianapolis, and Kurt Smith, President of the Indiana Family Institute. Thank you for being here for this discussion. You know, I was, uh, we like to talk about what's been in the headlines this week, and, and Mike Pence, you remember him, used to be governor here, but he made uh, headlines this week. He was at a Susan B. Anthony List uh, event, and he said that his prediction was that legal abortion would disappear in our lifetime. What do you think of uh, our governor uh, making a prediction like that? Well, I think with what's, what's happened over the last 12 years that I've served at the State House, I think there are those that would like to see that happen. Um, but I am of the mind that we have a constitutionally protected right for the woman, and that's something that we should respect. Um, it's not saying that we shouldn't have reasonable restrictions on when, where, and how that procedure is done. But I think at this time we have a court ruling, as you mentioned, 45 years ago, that, that very specifically says that the woman has a right to that procedure, and we should respect that. I remember uh, a couple years ago uh, in the 2016 session when uh, a measure was uh, ultimately passed and signed that put several restrictions on, on abortion. You and others, I should say, in your caucus expressed some concern. And I, if I'm not mistaken, you said it's, this is 
evidence of a bunch of middle-aged guys sitting around uh, passing laws about women's bodies, and we should stop pretending to know what's best for them. I, I How much grief did you get in your caucus uh, for that? Well, I mean, I think I've got the respect of my caucus, and I certainly respect those that, that have a different viewpoint. Um, John, let me just say that I am, a, I am pro-life, and I think you would have... I think it would be difficult for you to find any of my colleagues at the State House, either Republican or Democrat, that aren't pro-life. Uh, none of us, including myself, wishes for a woman to have an abortion. Um, but at the same time, I, along with many others, also recognize the right for a woman to choose what's best for her and her situation, um, especially with the fact that uh, we have a court ruling that says that they have the right to choose that procedure. And, in fact, you talk about court rulings. The very bill that prompted that comment that I just uh, reflected on is tied up in court as we speak. It was struck down at the district court level in the federal courts, but now is before the Seventh Circuit. John, we seem to have, of have a, uh, it's, it's, it's a common theme for us to, to introduce and pass legislation that many times ends up in the courts. And I think we really need to take a hard look at that. Um, we've paid a lot of money out over the last few years uh, to, to defend. Almost 300000 I believe, in that particular case. I would case, say probably at least. I mean, that's just in the um, legal fees that were. Um, so I think we need, we need to be mindful of that as well. Um, I can support common sense legislation when it comes to this type of procedure. But at the same time, I wish we would, we would not consider that, which we all know, or most of us know, is unconstitutional. Doctor, you, you were in the, in the practice of medicine, OBGYN, practicing here. Can despite some of the restrictions that have been put in place uh, that we've discussed, can a woman who wants or needs, and I guess we can argue about needs, but wants an abortion get an abortion in the state of Indiana, in your opinion right now, without much difficulty? Well, that last qualifier... Oh, I had to... Okay, I try to phrase these things as... <laughs> that last uh, qualifier, without much difficulty, I feel like that's the key. The, the legal statute is that we should be able to offer this very safe, very uh, evidence-based legal approach to comprehensive reproductive health care to women without undue burden. And so without much difficulty is a point of contention because for many of my patients who have to travel long distances, they have to find childcare, they have to take off of work, any kind of delay, any extra expense, that travel cost, that is an undue burden. Senator Bro, you've watched this debate unfold. What do you see as the state of this of this fight? You, you heard uh, one of your Republican colleagues say, "Why do we want to keep litigating this over and over at the cost of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if for, not first, more?" First, let me say I appreciate my Republican uh, colleague expressing that because um, that is absolutely the case. Uh, I too am pro-life. Uh, but I believe that means that women have the right to choose the life in the way that th that it best suits them and their uh, their lifestyle and their needs. Um, yes, uh, Pence was in Tennessee, and he was touting the Trump administration as being the most pro-life administration ever, and that uh, life is winning in America again. Uh, but what he did not, well, what he did mention, uh, but what I think we need to be aware of is that uh, this administration has also stopped the funding uh, for United Nations that provides global uh, uh, health care, reproductive services, and information. So 
this administration. Although not yet. probably the first Republican administration. I presume that had been done also by the Bush. Oh, it has. It, it, I, it, I, think, it I, I believe that was the case. Almost each administration's kind it of goes reversed. back and forth between party affiliation. It's called which, the Mexico uh, City policy. Uh, it's but, called the Mexico City, right? The, the the gag rule. So that gag rule is in place, but also the United Nations. And so we are pulling money. We are pulling American dollars out of organizations globally that impact women's health care all across the world. And we know that there are. Uh, situations and circumstances all across this this global uh, community where uh, there needs to be some family planning needs to be put in the hands of the individuals and it is not because there is mass uh, uh, violation of women uh, and uh, they need to have access to those choices uh, in those uh, unfortunate circumstances and we have as a as a country have said we have pulled out those resources so uh, that for me uh, sets the tone and then I think he uh, ended his uh, uh, his presentation, uh, Vice President Pence, by saying how proud he was to be the uh, to cast the deciding vote on uh, defunding Planned Parenthood. Which, if you understand anything about Planned Parenthood, their uh, focus on abortion is just a very small part of what they do. What they do is provide health care services to men and women uh, in all sorts of uh, medical arenas. So it's not well, as just a practical a matter. No federal <coughs> dollars. Could exactly even right. in, even when there was funding, or even at the heyday of funding, legally could flow to to abortion yes. uh, services. If I'm not mistaken, yes, correct. You know, uh, and I'm gonna we're gonna get another side of the issue. Uh -huh. I'm anticipating here from from Kurt Smith. But before I do, I want to make make sure viewers and listeners realize, uh, in when they scratch their heads and say, "Gee, what is there a conspiracy here that we seem to have people of, of like mind from the General Assembly?" We did extend an invitation to some of the authors and sponsors of, for instance, this year's legislation that would. Uh, enhance restrictions and, and make uh, greater obstacles, yes. one might say, uh, to abortion, and they had other com uh, commitments and were unable to join us. So that puts uh -huh. the burden on you. Uh, her, uh, Indiana Family Institute, certainly this has uh, uh, been a, a issue near and dear, uh, perhaps the number one issue, Absolutely. I guess, for your constituency. primary focus. I don't, you don't like to reduce this. This is not a sporting event, and it's not just cold politics, but we had a reference to winning. You mm -hmm. know, life is winning again. With my caveat, uh, that I'm not trying right. to reduce this, who is winning this The, this the life issue is, is winning. More and more Americans are pro-life. I think the technology, when people saw the sonograms and began to see images of these children, it was harder for them to think this was a cold impersonal decision that's a massive tissue when you see those children and I have four kids and we saw sonograms and today four grandchildren they're incredibly clear and and graphic images and people realize that's that's a child that's a life and so while I'm pro-life I extend that to to the child as well and that's been our advocacy and and what we think is important and I think Roe v. Wade will be overturned we're one justice away one Supreme Court justice away from it being struck down. What about the notion of uh, respecting uh, uh, precedent and uh, stare decisis? decisis, well, 45 years, it's an unsettled question. Instead of the court resolving a, an issue, they open the door, as you said in your introduction. It was a commencement. There are hundreds of thousands of marchers in the street to mark its anniversary every year. Legislatures are passing bills. It is not a settled public policy question, and I think it'll go in the dustbin of bad history along with Dred Scott and Plessy Ferguson and a lot of other cases that, upon reflection, uh, society rejected. Uh, how about this notion of advancing technology? It does seem, and we had this uh, there in the Seventh Circuit arguments uh, before the, the three-judge mm -hmm. panel that's hearing that mm -hmm. argument, uh, the 
individual representing the state of Indiana right. before that panel said that technology has basically changed the ground rules. Uh, in this case, dealt specifically with the ability or inability to terminate a pregnancy that has been uh, where there uh, a determination of Down syndrome or other uh, perhaps even more egregious or, or dangerous uh, abnormalities and, and so forth. Does technology, I mean, again, you're, you're there every day. Does this change your take and, and the philosophy of people you see? I mean, Kurt talks about it's no longer a, a cold, calculating decision. And I'm guessing you would say that never was a cold, calculating decision. But does technology yeah. change it? That's a great question. And you do bring up a good point about the technology. The technology that we now have to look with ultrasound to diagnose the gestational age of the fetus and the gestational age of the pregnancy, that's very important for both the patient, the woman in front of me, and also any counseling that I'm going to provide. Where our technology currently fails us is the ability to take care of many of these, many of these uh, diseases or, or afflictions that these babies would be born with. A fetus that is diagnosed with a lethal anomaly or with a very profound uh, series of, of um, abnormalities, that is not a life that you need to force upon a person or force upon a family. It is my opinion that in order to be pro-life, we have to respect life. Respecting life means that we will allow life to proceed as it is chosen by the person who is, who is making it, who is creating that life. You know, it does seem as if, uh, you know, sweeping generalizations, if you look at the past 45 years, the strategy, in, and again, it happens in lockstep in many cases across the state as people are sharing, mm -hmm. you know, boilerplate language and, and so forth. You see, you know, what's novel case, uh, piece of legislation one year here seems to pop up elsewhere. But initially it was about, you know, hurting the, the, the unborn. Uh, and then it became an issue of women's health. It seemed like we always talk about, you know, you have to have, be, uh, have admitting privileges at a hospital. You have to have uh, the latest, greatest technology and be informed and so forth. And now it's, it seems to be the, the argument is the rights of the individuals you're talking about, a, a, a class of individuals who maybe have disabilities or abnormalities, and they're casting it opponents of abortion in, in many cases, including this case I alluded to uh, that's before the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, as almost a, a civil rights issue. Do you, do you find any of these three stages of the debate more effective or more compelling well, than well, others? say, John, I, I, you ask who was the winners and the losers. I, I think clearly women are the losers in this. Yes. Um, and in some cases, physicians. Um, the bill that we had before us yesterday that passed the House, and I voted for, dealt primarily with reporting requirements and, and data collection. Seems innocent enough, um, although I think some of it was unnecessary. Um, but part of that was the reporting of the physician that would treat the woman when it came to complications. Not the physician that necessarily performed the procedure, the abortion, but the one that treated the woman, maybe at the emergency room, for complications. And now we're going to make that information, that doctor's name, public. And I think we need to be careful. Um, we, we put people at risk that are trying to do their job uh, the right way, and I think we go too far at times and ask too much of of, of from, from those folks. And I, I, I think just we, we got to be careful. It's a cumulative effect. Things may seem innocent on this bill and other bills, but it's just a cumulative effect that we continually to pile on, I think, unnecessary 
regulations uh, upon this, I, I think would go a little too far. And at the committee level, if I'm not mistaken, you had advocated and, and offered an amendment that would have reduced the types of uh, instances or, or, or facts that were disclosable or reportable to simply death and, and sort of the, the major things, not not. Yep, that, that, every every nuance that, that was because the, that was the attempt. Because right now, uh, Kurt, we do see it's not necessarily the doctor mm -hmm. who performed the abortion. I guess in theory, it could be 20 years later because it's not only, as I read the legislation, it's not just uh, hemorrhaging or or sorts of immediate aftermath. But I saw anxiety, you depression. know, insomnia, depression, sleep, which I guess could happen theoretically 20, Anyone. 30 years hence. Any time, which has no relation to the procedure to the abortion. So it's. In, I'm guessing it's just putting, you would say it's putting physicians on notice that we're going to exactly splash right. your name around. Yeah, what is, I, I don't think so. Then. I think there's a whole lack of knowledge about what's going on. These are not well understood uh, procedures and, and effects. And this is happening in very dark places and we don't know. And we had this felon. What, abortions felon, happening? Yeah, in Pennsylvania. Kermit Gosnell, he's got a horror house over there. He's doing life in prison. That is we had a doctor in South Bend lose his license. He cannot practice in Indiana anymore. It's very you have, rare. You have pastors and leaders of congregations that are in behind bars. That maybe the aberration too, but sure, sure. But we're not talking about pastors. We're talking about medical procedures just, and uh, collecting information and just having the Board of Health be a central clearinghouse so we know what's going on. When someone comes into the state, we want to make sure they're a good actor. We do that it, with why is it necessary to have the doctors? We do that name, with casinos. I mean, could you do it just with the data? I mean, I, I know we're getting you know high, there's yeah I'm not too worried about we're going to start collecting more about autopsies and opioid addiction. I think it gets, to the, quality, I think it gets to the quality of the data. I John, think it's just a quality. John, which is why it's just so important that we do not overturn Roe v. Wade because at least with Roe v. Wade we know we have safe. Uh, uh, operations that are have government oversight so that we can ensure the safety of the woman and the fetus. Um, also, what I find objectionable is we've put all of these requirements in that forcing uh, uh, for, uh, difficult uh, deliveries and difficult uh, lives on families and women, but we're not providing any additional funding to help offset those those expenses. And there has and we when with, when this bill came before us. Uh, couple of sessions ago, we spoke to that. We said, okay, if we're going to require uh, a woman with a seriously deformed or a Down syndrome child to uh, carry that pregnancy through without the ability to, to at all consider uh, any kind of termination procedure, then let's give them more money because those those kinds of uh, lives require uh, much more, uh, are much more costly and are much more uh, costly on family and the family dynamic. So let's try to help that because so many families break up over these kinds of uh, when they're introduced. So let's try to help them financially. And we did not do that. So on one hand, we're going to say, uh, we're going to force this on you. But on the other hand, we're not going to say we have a responsibility to help offset that for you. Uh, yeah. When you, let's bounce off of that here a little bit too. And in, in your practice, uh, you talked about government. Uh, what, again, I'll try to use, explain whose terms are what. Every term seems to have baggage. But governmental intrusion, if that's yes. your opinion. Is there any type of medicine in the practice of medicine where you are as under similar obligations to report, to inform, to do this? Now, maybe we're getting that way with opioid prescriptions in terms of databases and disclosure, but is this an aberration? Nothing anywhere close, anywhere close. An abortion procedure is by far safer and has less downstream consequences, less complications, and fewer deaths than carrying a pregnancy to term. By far, 
It is the safest procedure. 0.06 in 100,000. Whereas uh, that's for deaths. For maternal deaths after a live birth, it is about nine nationwide, although Indiana is higher. So, and, and that's not even talking about infant mortality. Why would we set these families up for failure? The other thing we haven't talked about is how these abortion restrictions unfairly target women of color and women in Absolutely. poverty. Yes. This is a major issue that is often overlooked, but women of color and women of poverty are more likely to pursue an abortion because of their circumstances and statistically are more likely to die if they're unable to have an abortion and they proceed to term. We are setting these women up to die. These, these laws are neutral, and physicians have a lot of positive duties to report things. Child abuse, gunshots, opioid addiction. We're now going to change our autopsy procedures because we're not sure we're getting good data. So government and medicine are very enmeshed. Is there anything that where physicians are required to say certain things to patients? I just, I'm not, these are not loaded questions. I'm just... Curious. Uh, I, I just went in an ER for a little fall and everything's fine, but I had to answer all kinds of questions and they collected all kinds of information. They wanted to know yeah, a whole lot of things questions. about That may have yeah. made it more to do with John, litigation John, than liability. The, the difference yeah. is those questions that, that uh, were asked of Mr. Smith were not in code, right? I mean, the doctor asked those questions because it's probably the right thing to do. This is one of the few, if maybe the only procedure where we specifically list They're in code. They're talking about insurance company. In code. There's federal I'm talking about what's in code. That and what's required go by the government for the doctor to ask or for to be reported on a sheet. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not there, saying there it's were, wrong for the doctor to ask those questions. There was information collected for compliance the, the purposes. The difference is statutory. that we specifically put it in code and say you have to do this. And that's... Very unusual, in fact, it may be the only procedure, and I ask that in committee, that we have currently in code that requires specific questions to be asked. And they're and very be, intrusive data questions. Data to be collected. They're, the number of, of live births, when was your last menstrual cycle? I mean, questions that just have no bearing at all on, on, on uh, the, the process of pregnancy uh, as it relates to, to any kind of condition. That's standard medical information when you're having a baby. Not to report it, Not to report it to the Indiana room. State Department of Health. But if it's about safety, I mean, would you ever have a scenario where a physician, we know that smoking, let's stipulate, is, mm -hmm. is potential a cancer cause, or... Uh, I speak as someone with a rather uh -huh. large midsection, larger than it should be. Okay. That, that's not always a healthy thing. Should doctors be obliged to read a statement and say, I'm, I'm under statute, have to tell you that you're cutting yours off? I mean, is that the role? No, but if you're going to undergo a medical procedure, I think the duty to inform is different. But again, that may be to do with li liability uh, yeah. on the other side of the equation. I, I, we're almost out of time, but I did want to talk about the other bill that uh, I, has Senator gotten some attention, uh, yeah. and that would be allow prosecutors to add additional charges or uh, and potentially seek additional penalties uh -huh. when a fetus is lost in a crime, an assault, an attack, uh, and that you'd say, well, we already have that now, but that's for viable fetuses. What this would right. do would, would extend that protection to even a non-viable Yeah, uh, it came fetus. from a tragic circumstance, a woman sitting in a kitchen, someone fires into the house, she dies, so does her baby, and her mother's been advocating for this, Prosecutors Association, was fine with. I think it passed the House unanimously. I it may was, be mistaken. It was, it was very lopsided. It was, I don't know if it I mean, was a very good understanding of the circumstances. And someone even although that's argue been challenged. Not. I mean, other advocates uh, of, of abortion rights have said that's 
establishing precedent. I mean, if, I, you talked about unintended consequences. I, I and, and, that, that, and, and that, to me, is precisely, I, as, as Representative Everhart alluded to, this is a cumulative effect. And this is, once again, another way to start to begin to define life. And, and they have been trying to define life inside the womb. When, when does life begin? And, and so if they can say that if uh, you can get an enhancement because you have killed the woman and the life inside, even if it's not viable, then now we've, we've moved State to a different law direction. State law says life begins at conception. That's in our statute. That's in our code. But that wasn't the way that the same. In fact, the federal judge had cited the lack of any specificity in, in invalidating the 2016. Boy, well, I'm getting signals that. here that we ran out of time. I just get going here. This is, <laughs> you know what I appreciate is the fact that on a contentious issue, you can all come and have a, a civil... A reasonable debate. I wish we could all do more of this, well, and I'm glad you chose. I'm glad you, cho <laughs> you just gave away the fantasy that this is live television. Thank you. <laughs> Making her last appearance on our show. <laughs> Again, my guests have been Republican Representative Sean Eberhardt of Shelbyville, Dr. Catherine McHugh, an Indianapolis OBGYN, Democratic Senator Gene Bro of Indianapolis, and Kurt Smith of the Indiana Family Institute. I thank all of you for being with us. It's been a tumultuous year for the Indiana Department of Child Services. Now with an investigation pending, what's the future of DCS on the next Indiana Lawmakers? And time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight, part of Hannah News Service. Were you surprised by the, the tone? I mean, it was downright civilized on an issue that for many people is the number one issue. The tone has really come down in the, the debate on abortion legislation, not only on this show, John, you know, from previous years, but in the legislature in general. And, and part of that, I think, is due to the fact that, that we're really looking at, at the margins on all this legislation. It's not quite as emotional because we're not talking about, you know, straight out bans. And we're talking about... Well, little, some we're talking about that, yeah, but we'll get to that, maybe. We're, we're talking about taking little steps and incremental things, and, and we've really done the, the bigger things before. The courts have said that we can't do those big things. So I, I think when you look at the bigger picture on this, you know, the Democrats have, have been saying for a few years now that, hey, when the, the pendulum will finally swing, the Republicans will overreach, we'll take back the, the House, and we'll have a chance in the Senate. But the, the thing that they don't realize is that there's not a whole lot of, of overreach left for the Republicans because they've achieved much of the agenda that they set out to do. So a lot of this is now just happening at the margins, and there's not going to be a, a whole lot that the Democrats can do to campaign on on these emotional issues come this and fall. And some would argue there is subtle law because of Roe v. Wade and, and Casey, Planned Parenthood. I mean, I, we could go through Despite the list. Despite what the vice president says. Despite what the vice president says. You know, to, along that line, it used to be that the, the most contentious debates were between Republicans and Democrats, for the most part, with some exceptions. Now, it seems to me, and we had certainly one view of a member of the caucus with Sean Eberhardt, but that seems to be the bigger fight now is between factions within the Republican caucus, like uh, Kurt. Kurt Nisley of Goshen wanted to, for the second year in a row, introduce legislation that would, in fact, do away with all abortions. Is that where the real fight is now within the caucus? Probably, but that's all behind closed doors, and we don't see that. And, and that's one of the complaints that you hear about the legislature this year, that a lot of these issues are being settled in caucus because of the supermajorities behind closed doors, and they don't get to debate these issues on the floor. But it's interesting that you've got a male Republican like Representative Eberhardt taking this position, and I think that you see that behind the closed doors as well. And does, uh, how does this play? We talk about, you mentioned overreach, and it could have repercussions. Is the public engaged, or are they taking sort of a little, if they had 
a little bit of fatigue from this, uh, this ongoing after 45 years of, of back and forth? I think that if, if you look at, at some of the groups that are involved, Kurt Smith's group, the American Family Association of Indiana, and then there's an even more radical group. Um, Hoosiers promote, for Life, which is the newest right, group. That, right. that has been picketing uh, in front of legislators' homes, even even pro-life legislators' homes. Because and they going to their churches, enough. I think, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, I think those folks will be very engaged in the primaries, at least. Very interesting, as always. Ed, appreciate your insight. See you next week. For more information, episode streams, and other extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can find our show on demand from Xfinity. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Schwannis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleague Ed Feigenbaum, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more State House coverage. Until next week, take care. Purdue researchers are at the top edge of computer technology, 3D design, using hand gestures, extending mobile battery life, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.